Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Hey there, and welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. And before we get rolling, a couple of things. First of all, if you'd like to take a deeper dive into Strange Planet, then you might consider becoming a premium subscriber. You gain access to commercial-free listening bonus episodes produced just for you, plus a subscription to my monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. It's real easy to do. Just click on the link in the episode notes, Strange Planet, dot supportingcast.fm strange planet dot supportingcast.fm and there are three monthly tiers or programs to choose from choose the one that's right for you and uh, voila just like that you're a premium subscriber all right uh the other thing i want to mention is of course i have a daily uh radio program uh on a, a terrestrial radio station here in the greater toronto area and it's uh, available as a podcast as well. And uh, I would invite you to check that out. You can find The Richard Serrett Show on uh, Spotify, on um, Apple, wherever you find your podcasts. There may be a few exceptions that I, I can't think of, but just about anywhere you find podcasts, you will find The Richard Serrett Show. Keep in mind, it's nothing like Strange Planet. Well, for the most part, it's nothing like Strange Planet. Occasionally, the two worlds collide, and uh, I will address things on the Richard Serrett show that I, uh, I talk about here, and vice versa. Uh, so, hope you enjoy the Richard Serrett show. Find it on Spotify and wherever you find your uh, your favorite podcasts. All right, is the current Israel versus Hamas war a um, a precursor, perhaps? of the uh the battle that is described in ezekiel 38 where ezekiel sees this vision of a great battle which precedes the second coming of jesus christ the lord declared whom he will be against in this great battle and uh, some have suggested that there are some telltale signs in this battle between israel and hamas that line up with what happens in this battle in ezekiel 38 gog and Magog, or as some prefer to call it, Gog of Magog. Ali Siadatan is joining us once again. He's the founder of Think Again Productions here in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry which sheds light on uh, mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, making the Bible more real than ever. And a great pleasure to have Ali back on the program. Hey, Ali, how are you? Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, First of all, although we've talked about this many times, it might be important for us, I think, to revisit Ezekiel 38 just for a moment and talk about that battle that precedes the second coming that some have suggested is Gog of Magog. And then we, can we should talk about what Gog of Magog or Gog in Magog is. Yeah, there's a prophetic battle uh, where all these, a coalition of nations attacks uh, Israel and this battle has never happened in the ancient history of Israel in antiquity. Uh, some of the characters mention the battle like there is Paras, which is Persia, 
which is modern day Iran, because that was the name of Iran until 1936. There's the House of Togorma, which is the foundation of, you know, the Turkic people. They come from Turkmenistan, which was founded, according to the Bible, by Togorma. The countries that are mentioned, um, you know, Gog and Magog, um, there is this historian. His name was Herodotus. He was called the father of history. And in his writings, he interchangeably used Scythians and Megogians. So he'd be writing about the Scythians, and then sometimes he would just call them the Megogians, and he would switch from one to the other. And there are other ancient sources that make that parallel as well between the Scythians and the Megogians. So when you look at the people, the Scythians had lived in a northern Iranian plateau, and they kind of poured into the Russian steppes, Ukraine, some of the stands of Russia. And other people have placed um, the Megogians in Anatolia, in modern-day Turkey, because they're a nomadic people. And they go, yes, but at the time of Ezekiel's writing, was where were they living? Who, you know, for him, you know? And so different scholars have some different opinions, but at the end of the day, no matter how you look at it, it seems that it talks about these northern people that would be kind of like the Turkish, uh, uh, the Iranian nations, the stands of Russia, the Russians themselves, uh, the Slavic people. Um, and there's also Gomer mentioned, uh, which is kind of like Poland and parts of, uh, again, close to Russia, uh, Europeans. Um, and, and then the other people mentioned are North Africans, right? Other than Egypt. Egypt is not mentioned, but Libya uh, you know, it's, these were not modern nations, but people that live in uh, North African countries, uh, kind of uh, east of Egypt uh, into Africa, uh, some of those countries are mentioned. And ironically or strangely, the Semites are not mentioned, which are the Arabs. Mm. Uh, Ethiopia is Kush, right? Ethiopia is Kush? Yes. Ethiopia and Libya are mentioned, Kush and Put. Um, and so those countries, but again, you know, it's like, you know, modern day Ethiopia, modern day Libya, those borders don't exactly meet Kush and Put. It's just the people that lived in that region uh, a long time ago fall within the boundaries of these political entities. So um, if it's an ideological war, it can draw from many different peoples um, and, and, and be sponsored by a few important states. You know, but but it can draw from many tribes and clans. One thing is for sure, it looks like the Arabs are left out. It looks like it's kind of a war of the non-Arab Islamic nations. Um, so that's uh, that's interesting to note. It does say that, you know, once uh, they're defeated by God, uh, that they will, you know, uh, bury, um, they will burn the weapons for seven years. Uh, which is kind of interesting because you don't think that's going to happen in the kingdom of Jesus. You're not going to bury weapons for uh, burn weapons for seven years and use them as a source of energy. It says that it says they're going to burn the weapons for seven years and use them as fuel. And so that sounds like nuclear. It sure does. Uh, it sure does. And also, um, it does say that if you bury people and if they, um, it'll take seven months to bury them, and then if you kind of miss somebody. And you see a bone, you're not supposed to touch it. You're supposed to call these specialists to come and remove the bones. So again, it might be radioactive. And that's what it says. It says you can't touch the bones if you see it. After the burial is over, you have to call these special people. So again, this is not something I think would happen in the kingdom of Jesus. 
That's the, these these details in Ezekiel 38 and 39 tell me that this is in fact in the pattern of the Battle of Armageddon. It has overlaps in the pattern of Armageddon, but it is has distinctions such as the Semites are not included. It doesn't have all the nations, such as the fact that you should burn weapons and you have to, uh, you know, bury people in this kingdom uh, through this, uh, you know, specialized ritual that this is not the kind of reality I would see in the kingdom of Jesus. So I think this is a distinct war from the Battle of Armageddon. This is its own war. Um, um, and this may be the one that's ahead of us, yes. Right. Okay. So um, what are the parallels then between the Israel-Hamas war, which began on October 7th, uh, and Ezekiel 38's uh, Gog, first of all, is it, I always struggle with this, is it, is it Gog of Magog, or is it Gog and Magog? Well, usually people say Gog and Magog, the battle of Gog and Magog. And that's because in the book of Revelation, Gog and Magog make a appearance as well, a thousand years after the Messianic kingdom, right before the father arrives. It says that Gog and Magog gather around the camp of the saints uh, in Jerusalem. And so people go, wait a second, how is that possible? And of course, the riddle is solved once you realize that it is clearly saying that what's behind this is a spiritual attack. It's an evil spirit. It is not just a name of a person. Like, you know, Magog, for instance, might be a region because we can see in the writings of Herodotus and other people. But Gog which is not a character we see anywhere. Therefore, it might be that whoever is going to be the leader is haunted by one of the ancient spirits of the Nephilim that are roaming the earth from the days of the flood. And that's why we see him also appear at the end of the age, before the coming of the Father, before the very end of history, after the, Jesus rules for a thousand years, once again we hear about Gog and Magog. So it tells us that there's an evil spirit behind this whole thing. Um, so parallels. Now, this is very interesting what you just pointed to. Let me just open it up for folks. So the war that just started in Gaza on October 7th. Now, that war happened to the day, well, 50 days plus one day to the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Mm -hmm. So this is important because that war in 1973 happened on one of the appointed days of the Lord. One of the days that God had marked in his calendar, the Day of Atonement. This war happened on one of the appointed days of God. It happened on Sukkot, mm -hmm. the Feast of Tabernacle. And that has um, eight days. And this happened on the eighth day of Sukkot. So in the Bible, God creates this feast. And it has eight days. And the eighth day is a solemn assembly. Eight is the number of a new beginning. And 50 days plus one, 50 is a number of new beginning because there's, you know, the year of Jubilee, yeah. which is inheritance of eternity for 50 days. Um, and, you know, it happened on the weekly Sabbath, This you know, which is the end of a cycle. And then a new, a new week begins. You know, it's a new beginning. Uh, but that's also an appointed day. So the fact that these wars occur on... You know, they didn't plan that they're going to attack on an appointed day. They thought it's a Jewish holiday. People will be distracted. But they didn't realize it wasn't a Jewish holiday. These are Jewish holy days. There are eight appointed days in the Bible. One of them is the weekly Sabbath, 
and the other is the seven other days, and they all have deep significance for God's master plan. Um, 50 is also the number of seven times seven plus one, and that's, again, a very important concept in the Bible where 49 denotes the accomplishing of, of a matter because it's really seven times seven and 50 is a new beginning. So again, we get this idea of, of the eighth day of this feast, the eighth is being the new beginning, 50 plus one, the end of the weekly uh, cycle on, was on the Sabbath day. And when you look at um, the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 14, which really talks about the end of the age of empire and the beginning of the Messianic kingdom, is probably the most detailed prophecy in the Bible that talks about the transition of ages. It says that the Messiah's kingdom begins on this feast, Sukkot. It says that all the nations that come against Jerusalem, you know, uh, they're going to be defeated. It talks about women being ravished and houses being ransacked. But then it says that God appears, defeats these enemies, and of all the people that survive, they have to come to Jerusalem on the feast of Sukkot, on this very feast, and worship the king year after year. So, so this is the beginning of the Messianic kingdom. It begins on the last day of the last feast. Jesus is crucified on Passover, but also Israel is brought out of Egypt on Passover. And Israel's history begins on the first day of the spring feast. But this particular prophecy of Zechariah says that this Israel's long history, this 3,000-year history, will end at this moment in time where the messianic kingdom is ushered in and the age of empire is concluded so so israel's history goes from passover beginning in history in egypt until this final feast of the calendar sukkot which will be fulfilled also on on the pages of history in the city of jerusalem at the coming of the messiah and the establishing of his kingdom so the so the leaving of egypt coincided by God's design, with the first day of the first feast and the starting of the Messianic kingdom and the end of the age of empire also coincides with the last day of the last feast. So this is the beginning, a new beginning happens in the Bible on this feast in the future on the, on the actual stage of history. When the Messiah returns, he starts a new chapter of history. He starts the Sabbath year of history on this day, on the eighth day, on the very day that this war occurred, marks the beginning of a new kingdom, you know, when it comes. And, and so eight is this number of new beginnings. So it's interesting. Now, the the scroll that is read, you know, the scroll of the Torah is read. Yes. They start the beginning with Genesis. And when do when did they get to the last words of the last page of the last scroll? On this day, the eighth day. So they read literally on that day that that war started. They they read the last words of the last books of Moses, and they flip the scroll and they read the first words of the first book of Moses. Again, it's the end of one cycle, literally, and the beginning of the next. On that day, that's another new beginning. And of course, when they begin to read it, what do they read? The book of the beginning. That's another, you know, it's pointing to a new beginning. And so it's interesting that, the on the 50 day 50 years plus one day to the 
uh, last great war, the 1973 war, the one that happened on the Day of Atonement. On one of God's appointed days, this war happens in 1973. That ends the war with the Arab world. No other time did the Arab nations gather together, form armies, and attack Israel. There was a war in 1948, one in 67, one in 73, and that ended the wars of the Arab world against Israel. Uh, it led to the armistice with Egypt. It led to 50 years of relative peace just with skirmishes, mm -hmm. small battles, and even led eventually to the Abraham Accords. And even there was some talk about the king of Saudi Arabia wanting to normalize relations with Israel. So there was kind of this age of peace coming with the Arab world. And 50 years after the war that initiated this entire process, to the day, 50 years plus one, on another appointed day of God, this Gaza war begins. And it has all of these markers of new beginning, right? It's 50 plus one. It's on the weekly Sabbath, the end of a cycle. It is... Um, on the eighth day of the final feast, which in prophetically ushers in a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Messiah. The feasts follow the cycle of agriculture in the land. The first one in the spring, the final one, this, this one is the feast of the harvest, the ingathering of the people. That's why prophetically all the people are gathered in to the Messiah's kingdom on this day. The, the people represent the fields being, you know, the fruits coming in to the kingdom. So again, the cycle of agriculture is finished and a new cycle is about to begin on the last day of this feast. The, um, let me just the, ask you, the, hang on, let me just jump in for a second. In, on, in Ezekiel 38, the, the Battle of Gog and Magog, uh, that battle is to begin in, is it Tishrei? Is that how you pronounce it? Tish, Tishrei? Is that the we don't know when it's going to begin. But what I'm trying to say, and th this is going to connect to that. So... Now, what happens is that afterwards, when they um, they think, what are they going to do? Should they attack? Should they not? There's about a week of a pause. You know, it is, they're in shock. It was a surprise. October 7th is when the war happened. Now we get to October 14th. A week goes by, right? Now, two very new signs appear that, again, point to a new beginning. One is that the eclipse of the sun occurs on the 14th of October which is one of the signs it says in the book of Genesis that God may use. Then they 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 enter a new month. It's a new moon. That day, the 14th, is actually a new moon in the biblical calendar. New moons are the beginning of the months of God. And what month is it? The eighth month. Again, eight is the number of a new beginning. Then you've got the, the scroll of the Torah, the reading scroll that had just begun with the book of Genesis all over again. Mm -hmm. They, they turn the page to the next reading. And in that page, the first time ever in all of the Bible, the word Hamas appears naturally, organically. What? On that, I'll read it to you. So it's in chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with Hamas. That's the Hebrew. You can look it up. You can look it up afterwards. In, and go, go click on the Hebrew, it says Hamas. And because Hamas is the, is the acronym for an Islamic resistance movement, mm -hmm. it is also a Arabic word. It means zeal. 
But also, it happens to be a Hebrew word, which means violence or lawlessness. Wow. These are the two translate, And it appears 61 times in the Bible. And the first time it appears, and the first time is always the most important, it, it's, it appears in, the, in this passage, which happens to be naturally the passage that they're reading. So you got all of these alignments. It happens on the eighth day of Sukkot, on the Sabbath. It happens on the the end of the cycle, the reading of the, then the moon appears, the, uh, the eclipse of the sun appears, and the eighth month is ushered in. And then they read the next passage of the scroll, which happens to talk about the world before the flood, where the where it, it takes us to not only the a connection with the fallen angels and the sons of God, but it takes us in exactly into this. This is the whole world was filled with this, the spirit of, of Hamas. Unbelievable. Uh, Ali, I got to take a time out. Stay, uh, stay put. We'll uh, come back and continue to discuss the Israel-Hamas war. Is this uh, Gog and Magog, as uh, foretold in Ezekiel 38, which uh, takes place before the second coming of the Messiah? Back with more with Ali, founder of Think Again Productions, thinkagainproductions.com. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Hamas mentioned 61 times in the Bible. I had no idea. Hebrew word, which means zeal and violence. Um, Alicia Adetan is with us from Think Again Productions, and we're talking about the current Israel-Hamas war and uh, its parallels between Ezekiel 38, uh, the prophesied uh, war of Gog and Magog, which is a precursor to uh, the second coming. Um, so let me go back to that, what I was asking. In, in Ezekiel 38, um, Gog and Magog, that war begins in, is it pronounced Tishrei? Is that, is that correct? Uh Right. No, it doesn't say when it begins. It doesn't say when when that war begins. Tishrei would be the seventh month. Ah. Um, so the month before this war started. So the these signs that appear, these natural alignments, the fact that they attack on one of God's appointed day, and it ignites these series of... It tells us that um, this may be the beginning of a prophetic war. And now the question is, what prophetic war is that? So the word Hamas appears on the reading naturally on the second week, on the 14th of October. And it's the context of the world before the flood. And this evil rises. And what does God do? God deals with it by judging it and sends the waters of the flood, which are a purifying uh, effect. He purifies the earth. And then what happens after the flood? A new beginning emerges. Um, the, the dry land appears again. So everything here says that that we're on the verge of some massive changes that are going to usher in a new beginning. The number eight comes out over and over again. So now you have to put it in the context. What was happening? Well, suddenly um, Biden, Netanyahu, and MBS come out and tell us that there is actually a new deal on the table. That they're about to announce it. 
he, uh, the Prince of Saudi Arabia makes a speech, makes a you know interview with Fox, says, yeah, we're very close. So does Netanyahu and so does Biden. And they call it the new Middle East. That are about to tell us that a new that the Middle East is about to have a new beginning, and they're going to announce that it's going to normalize Saudi Arabia is the custodian of the two holy mosques of Islam. So this would mean a lot in the consciousness of Muslims around the world if they normalized with Israel. It would you know, and there's all the Abraham Accords, and, and so this is the backdrop. And then when are they announcing this? Well, they're announcing it in the month of Tishrei. What happens is that these appointed days of the fall happen at the time where the United Nations Assembly is in New York. The leader of Iran makes a speech. They're all making speeches there. And this is a time where we're, we're dealing with, with, the, with, the, with the Day of Atonement. It's a time that's understood to be a time of judgment over the nations. And suddenly they tell us that there's a new deal coming. And right as a, they're about to announce a new deal, the Gaza war breaks out and everything changes. And all of these signs tell me that perhaps God is saying, yes, there's going to be a new beginning, but it won't be the one that these guys have planned. It will be the one that I have planned. Now, what would this look like? Well, if this is the beginning of what is now going to expand to become the Gog and Magog invasion, this would be the mechanism of the birth of a new Middle East. So how would this be the beginning of that war? Well, look at the players that are involved. First, we see that from the get-go, we we're told that Iran is very much behind Hamas, yes. which everybody knows is true. Yeah. And, they're, and they are the one of the main players in that war. They're the second country mentioned. And the second country mentioned is always the, the closest ally to the leading country in the way that biblical wars are listed. Then suddenly, out of the blue, Turkey, which is a NATO country, the leader of Turkey goes on this speech after speech after speech. I can't keep up anymore with all the speeches. He, he's speaking like an Islamic jihadist. I don't know if you've been following. Erdogan, the yes, Erdogan, yeah. He's making, he's now, who is Erdogan? Erdogan is a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. He's one of the leaders, well, he's the leader of the U.S. branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. When he comes to America, he meets with all the leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood of America. They, they throw huge uh, assemblies for him. You can see pictures of him sitting, sitting at large tables at the head of the table. And he has this idea of bringing the Ottoman Caliphate back. He's saying they took Jerusalem from us. And suddenly he starts to say, no, let's go for it. So another country falls into line that has mentioned this prophecy as a consequence of this war that has just started. They start to align in a major way against Jerusalem. And the Russians, they um, start, they they receive, you know, both the, the leader of Hamas goes to Russia, meets with Putin after the war begins. And the leader of Iran goes there and um, they start to, you know, even get, uh, they start to have all kinds of new, new military pacts that have started between Iran and Russia. Um, the, um, the, the, the Turkish people, uh, they're told that they should normalize with Assad in Syria because, you know, Assad is part of this belt of these countries. And 
Assad is like, we're not going to normalize until the Turks leave our territory. And the Russians and the Iranians are telling Assad, no, you're going to normalize with the Turks and they're going to leave their army in Syria. So the Turks are already, because they're there to deal with the Kurds. That's why right. they're there. That's the excuse. So, so suddenly you start to see, and then Afghanistan, which has a new Taliban uh, government, this Taliban government is Muslim Brotherhood. It is not um, like the old Taliban, which was associated with Saudi Arabia. This new Taliban is Muslim Brotherhood and has an office in Doha, Qatar, and Hamas is an office in Doha, Qatar. And then there's the Emir of Qatar. I, let me just, uh, is, you mentioned Afghanistan and just twigged on me because the the U.S. bombed the Taliban in Afghanistan. Do you know what date? October what? 7th, 2001. October 7th. Oh, wow. Wow. There you go. There you go. The cycles, you know, that that's interesting. You know, that's interesting. That's very interesting, you know, to... Um, so something may be coming home to roost because the Taliban that were bombed on the 7th took over uh, Afghanistan three days after the Americans left. And that was widely seen in the Islamist world as a victory for the Islamists. And it, they, they believed that they were shown a sign that with patience they can win. They should play the long game. And since the Taliban took over, they made Afghanistan into a hotbed for all kinds of Islamist groups, and so Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. So then suddenly Afghanistan starts to normalize, get cozier with Iran. Um, as a result of this Gaza war, they've started to have very close intelligence sharing activity that they publicly announced. So this Gaza war suddenly brings together a force of people who each had their own, you know, agendas, their own reasons, their own animosities against Israel, but also their own troubles and their own priorities, they start to, they all start to talk about Jerusalem and they start to connect with each other. So, it, so it's as though the coalition that we see in Ezekiel 38-39 is unfolded, is, is suddenly taking shape before our eyes. And it does seem as though the Russians are behind them as the industrial patron, like they were in the 20th century. The Soviets were behind the socialist, secular Arab leaders that attacked Israel. That pattern continues. They are the eagles of the East, and they have Security Council veto power that can give an umbrella, and they have big technology. And they make sure that the West doesn't get involved in the war because if the West does get involved, they will get involved and that will become a world war and, and nobody wants that. All right. So, Ali, sorry, I got to jump in again. We'll, we're going to take another time out. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions. And uh, we'll be back and discuss the parallels between Gog and Magog and Ezekiel 38 and the Israel-Hamas war. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions, thinkagainproductions.com. Um, what about the Chinese? In, in, um, um, are they mentioned in Ezekiel 38 by another name? No. No. No, Chinese are not there. That is the next war. So... You know the um, the the first war is with the with a principality 
uh, of that region. The next war, the one that's called Armageddon, will come led by the industrial nations. And, and so this particular war, you know, it's, what I'm trying to say is that once I saw how aligned everything was with the appointed days of God and with the eclipse and with the reading cycle and the eights, this caught my attention that this is not a normal war, that God is signaling that something prophetic, that he is about to create a change. And then the, the question is, how will he do that? Well, this may be the beginning of this Ezekiel war. So now that we're there, we can see a few detailed ideas that we couldn't see from a distance. Since there was an announcement being made, and, and, and this announcement, we had the road announcement from Mumbai to Berlin, uh, there's a new world order emerging, and suddenly Saudi Arabia and Israel were drawn into it. Maybe there was actually an evil plan connived against Israel that God didn't like. And so God intervened here to say, no, I'm going to disrupt your plan, and I'm going to create a sequence of events. Wait a second. Are you suggesting that the the Saudi Arabian plan to yeah. normalize relations with Israel was a trap? Uh, right. which was an extent this was an extension of the Abraham Accords that uh, eventually Saudi Arabia would come on board and some of the Gulf I, I, th I think the globalists had uh, laid a trap ah. and uh, and so the Biden administration and the um, the deep state and the left uh, that were very much involved in creating a uh, kind of an empire were incorporating these into they were they were putting shackles uh, on something. And so God intervened and said, no, we're going to have a new Middle East. But in my Middle East, I'm going to purge the waters. Why? Because when you look at these Islamist uh, warriors coming in, um, there's only two ways that the world can get rid of this plague and everyone can have peace. One is they all have a change of heart and mind, and, and then that ends it, which is unlikely. The other is that they live out the uh, their desired purpose and they're defeated. And they realize because the religious people that, hey, God is not with us. God was with Israel after all. And the entire thing collapses and the stronghold that it has over the people in the region and the people witnessing and watching it, the stronghold falls from over them. Because when you look at the pattern with, with the, the final war, the one I mentioned, Zachariah, that involves the Feast of Sukkot, it says that the enemies that survive come and worship the king. So they're enlightened. And when you look at the word, you know, it says that God puts a, a um, some sort of protection over the covenant holders, the Abrahamic covenant. God says, you know, those who bless Abraham will, will be blessed. Those who curse him will be cursed. But the word that is used for curse in that passage is different from the word for curse in all the other passages. It involves the word light, which means that somehow the curse that comes from God is one that enlightens you. You know, pray for your, the for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. So why do you pray for them? So that they get enlightened. And so this is in, going to have an enlightening effect on the on these uh, people that come. And the stronghold falls, and a new Middle East emerges where the Islamist powers, let's say, of Iran, of Turkey, and even, of course, if Russia is behind it, and even look at the Biden administration, they are filling the pockets of the Islamic Republic with more and more money, even as this war began. Biden came to Jerusalem and gave $100 million to Hamas and then went back to Washington and gave another $10 billion to Iran just last, just a few days ago, a new one. 
10 billion more yeah. waivers. So obviously, obviously, the powers are actually supporting the war against Israel from every side of the political spectrum. And that's why I think God is going ahead with these signs and signals and saying, I'm going to respond to it. So first of all, we now see that if this is the beginning of the Ezekiel 38-39 war, A, it happens in response to a ploy that God is dismantling. Two, God is going to remove a great evil that no one else can contend with, this jihadi spirit. And three, he's going to usher in a new spirit in the Middle, in the Middle East. And of course, this is going to create all kinds of economic and political change that the enemy is now going to exploit. It's a two-way conversation. But so it's as though something very big has started. And the players that are involved and attached to this particular war, this is not a skirmish with a local militia. The players that are attached are clearly Iran and Turkey and Russia and America, and the whole world is suddenly involved. So this does have the feeling of the beginnings of a much larger war. Again, it could be very much the one prophesied in Ezekiel 38, 39. Well, if it is, a, if it is uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, Gog and Magog, um, that means this is going to, um, this conflict is going to spread. Uh, how then, um, how then is Gog and Magog is not World War Three, correct? Or is it? Could could Gog no, and Magog no. result in World War Three? Because if it does spread, and then we have Hezbollah supported by Iran uh, opening up yeah. a second front in uh, no no, this, this is the war of Gog and Magog is going to have the national armies of Iran and Turkey attack Israel. It's going to have national armies. It's not going to be a war of militias. It's, oh, it won't be. How do we, I mean, if if it gets to that point, we're in World War III, don't you think? Um, well, it, as long as the Russians and the Americans uh, are not shooting at each other, then that's why I think the Russians will provide an umbrella because they will say, look, if you come in on the side of Israel, we will come in on the side of these guys. And do you really want World War III? And, and, um, and, and in Ezekiel 38, 39, we read about what appears to be like nukes. They burn the weapons for seven years and they have to bury the dead. And if they miss any bones, they're so radioactive, you can't touch the bones. Right. You have to go. Okay, so there'll them. be nukes involved, but in, in so where States. did the nukes come from? Yeah. So the Russians have light portable nukes, right? So they may have some units. I don't think they would give their nukes to anybody, but they may embed some of their own units among their friends and say, our units will come along with you, you know, just so that you have some light nukes with you. There are some idea that Iran may want to buy a nuke or two from North Korea or Pakistan, two of its allies on the other side of the fence, and all the money that Biden is giving them may be used for that. Well, Israel has nukes. Iran is widely speculated. I know this is controversial, but I sincerely believe Israel or um, Iran has um, as many as a dozen nukes. Right. It could have nukes already, or as I was saying, it could be buying them. Yeah. Hard to imagine, though, nukes being involved, whether they're Iran's nukes, Israel's nukes. Right, right. Without this spreading into World War Three. Yeah. So the it says that the... Um, battle god is the one that brings these enemies it says that and god is the one that defeats them so 
it looks like God is going ahead of us and saying, I'm going to contain this. So don't be afraid. And so we'll see there's a miraculous victory. It's a judgment over something evil. So I think that behind the scene, something has risen and we're just seeing the beginnings of it. And God has signaled us through these appointed you know, days and eclipses and, par- and uh, Torah readings and all of these things. God has signaled us that, hey, I'm God into action for, for you guys, for the good guys. Don't worry. I'm going to dismantle this. Um, now, another thing that's interesting, just as a side note, um, you were mentioning that Hamas is mentioned in the Bible. Well, ironically, so is Gaza mentioned many times. Thus says God for three transgressions of Gaza, for four, I will not revoke the decree because they exiled an entire population which they delivered to Edom, which is Jordan, which is mostly Palestinians. Like, you know, the idea of exile here is also captivity, that they took captivity population, maybe they sold some to Edom in slavery. That's I mean, that's what I suggest. You're talking about the so hostages God, here, the hostages. That's what I'm suggesting. It says that they exiled an entire population and they delivered it to Edom, which is modern-day Jordan, which is mostly Palestinians living there. This is what God accuses them of, and then God pronounces judgment. I will send down fire upon the walls of Gaza, and it shall devour its fortresses. Hmm. It says exile an entire population. I mean, we're looking at 240 hostages. Yes, that's right. That's that's like saying you know a group of people, mm-hmm. right? So it's interesting though that Gaza is mentioned yeah. because there are all these prophecies about Gaza. Gaza was an old city, but the prophetic way that the Bible is put together is a system of cycles or patterns. And these cycles are moving through time and they get activated until they are finally fulfilled once and for all. So this this is relevant today, can be. Uh, and again, if this is not a normal war, then maybe these verses are coming to our attention for that. Okay. So, so if if this is Gog and Magog, the current conflict between Israel and Hamas, the current war right. is Gog and Magog, right. and Turkey comes in and Iran comes in uh, and... Uh, Afghanistan and, then, and Turk, yeah. Turkmenistan and Kajikistan right, right, right. and so forth. Uh, and, the non-Arab Islamic nations. Right. And Israel and is... Soldiers from Africa. Put soldiers from Africa because Ethiopia, they say in Ethiopia, if you don't believe that Israel should be destroyed, you're not a real Muslim. That's what uh, people say in Ethiopian mosques. Right. So Ethiopia will be involved. Uh, yes. Soldiers from Libya. Libya has become a complete hotbed of Islamism since Gaddafi's gone Libya, right okay so if this is it uh and the uh, israel is miraculously victorious as they were in the six-day war yes um then the the jihad will lay down their arms and say their god is greater than our god and we will we will go to jerusalem and pay tribute or we will yes yes exactly so there will be a change of heart and spirit a lot of them will suddenly actually convert, I imagine, to Christianity, since you don't usually convert to Judaism, or some of them might. Um, and all the other people witnessing, all the other Muslims who may not want to participate, but somewhere deep down they might go, well, what if these guys are right? And and they will also have it, you realize for sure these guys were not right. So it'll be the end 
Islam will definitely be, I think, weakened and transformed as a religion. Well, what, what portion of the uh, Islamic world will convert after Israel defeats Iran, Turkey, etc.? Will it be the Shia Muslims in Iran? Um, it will be throughout. Uh, right now, the entire Muslim world is experiencing mass conversions already. There's even some news out that 200 Gazan men had a dream, miraculously, of Jesus recently. So who knows? But all over the Middle East, people are having dreams of Jesus. It's underground. You're not supposed to talk about it. I think that's going to come to the surface and, and, and be preached more readily. Iran is completely on the verge of revolution anyways, and Christianity has you know exploded in Iran. I think that's why the revolution is happening, because the presence of the Holy Spirit has entered the country. But the government is too strong. It has to be defeated from the outside. And so there is also a mystery I've discovered about that, which would be too long to open here. But I think there's an ancient debt between uh, Iran and Israel that's going to be it's a biblical debt that will be settled here. So that's one one dimension of there'll be a spiritual transformation, and it'll be a regional war, but with you know global implications. Can I just there, can I just hazard a guess here, and we won't go into this because we're at about well, out of time, but that. That biblical debt, does that have anything to do with King Cyrus of Persia free, yes. freeing the Jews from uh, from their captivity in Babylon and sending them back to Israel? Yes. So now Israel's and going to return the favor to the people of Cyrus. Iran. Ah. So another spiritual principle will be pulled. Another lever comes into play that that gets played out. So a lot of things are being resolved on many levels. Uh, here and so I think that that this might re re lead finally to a final uh, peace deal between the entire region and Israel normalization, which means that the Temple Mount will come uh, up as a negotiation issue. Since the Parliament of Israel has become very religious, they'll want to know if we're going to agree. You know, we have to now also decide on the Temple Mount, and I think a portion will be uh, taken for the building of a third temple. Um, and then, of course, the chaos. I mean, all these countries that will lose will undergo revolution. We'll see the rise of a new world order, and the and the empire. Uh, you know that that these guys were trying to build will now coalesce, and and, and we'll see the rise of a new world order. Um, the Antichrist system. The Antichrist system can now come into play. Um, they'll probably there might be some economic. Uh, a deep economic weakness when we are nearly at the 100-year cycle of the Great Depression of the 1930s. So if right now uh, this tightening cycle is going to weaken our economy, this war, if it happens sometime in the 2020s, as I'm suggesting, if I had to pick a date, of course, I'll pick 2027 because that'll be the 100-year anniversary of the 1967, another miraculous war. 50th. Then, yeah. Uh, sorry, no, yeah. the, what would that be? The, the oh, 60th. 60th anniversary. And of the 1967 war, and then that this this a war like this would now exasperate the economic weakness that we would be in because of the tightening cycle, and would usher in an age of depression, which then would call for strong leaders and political chaos that would contribute to the rise of this beast system. So on one hand, we'll see a spiritual uh, enlightenment and and friendliness in, in the in the in the region among the people. Something evil is removed, but then on the other hand, we will be now seeing the rise of even a greater evil, the final war, the one that comes. And I remember what the angel said to Daniel, first I have to deal with the prince of Persia and then the prince of Greece. And he said this was for the latter days. 
And I think these are the two wars. This is the war of the Prince of Persia. If you look at them, and the one that's coming is the war of the Prince of Greece, the one the Armageddon. Wow. All right, Ali, um, do you have any uh, anything coming up on your website or any any uh, lectures, classes, anything that you'd like to promote? Yeah, absolutely. The, what you want to do is go to my website, thinkagainproductions.com, and sign up for the newsletter. Stay informed because there's some stuff that I'm releasing that you want to absolutely get. I'm going to actually putting all this in a PDF form and putting it on Amazon and you can buy it. Um, and double click on the documentary on the front page, watch it, but it'll take you into my YouTube page, subscribe to it, watch the videos there. And if you like the documentary that you see, then please, it talks about the world of angels and their implication with the end times, then uh, make sure that you donate something. You know, it's free, but leave me a donation for watching the documentary. Um, and, you know, just stay in touch like by being on the newsletter and being a member of the YouTube page. You're going to get see all kinds of new information. And if you really want to get into the book of Revelation, then on my website, you'll see a link for my patron page. Sign up for my patron page and you get the audio series on the book of Revelation. Thinkagainproductions.com. Ali Siadatan, thank you so much as always. You're welcome, Richard. Thanks for having me. A new Richard Serrett's A Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 